I want to hear from God, and perhaps you do too, but how do we discern the voice of God in the noise of so many voices speaking, trying to speak into our lives? Well, welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And Chris, we are going to be continuing looking to the scripture just to discover how do we discern the voice of God. Good to be with you, Chris. Good to be with you, Lynn. You you know this. Um, I'm a subject matter expert in re, in relation to being a great sinner who's experienced a lot of conviction in my life. Right. So I know. <laughs> so I'm a good guy to have uh, on this particular session. It is our pleasure to have Ron Brown with us. Ron uh, has worked at Lifeway forever, has been writing uh, Herschel Hobbes commentary for a lot of years. Ron, good to see you and good to have you with us. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'm always glad to join you and Lynn and uh, appreciate the opportunity. So I said forever. How long did you work at Lifeway where they paid you? 23 years and one quarter. So I just celebrated 25. Oh. And Lynn, you're- You must be old. You've been around longer than I have, right, Lynn? (laughs) I'm in my 29th year now. Okay. Wow. So we're, the, we're those old guys that yeah. we used to talk yeah. about. That's right. <laughs> I woke up one day and all of a sudden I realized I'm one of the old people here, uh, <laughs> but I'm still kicking. Well, we're going to be talking about conviction, this, this idea of how do we discern the voice of God? Uh, each of these sessions approaching the subject by asking a question. So how do I discern the voice of God? Our question this week is, well, does what you hear, does it bring conviction? And so this is our point. We're going to be focusing on that the voice of God seeks to convict us of the truth. We ask questions a lot of the times to get things rolling. We have icebreaker questions. And this week's is very interesting. Uh, It is uh, when has it been difficult for you to admit that you've made a mistake? I can tell a story from last week. My wife had asked for some uh, pull out drawers in her kitchen cabinets. She and we sat down. I sketched out what she was describing, you know, open the doors and the cabinets will pull out so she can reach in the back real easily and get whatever she's get, trying to get. So we sketched it out. And then I got on my computer and did the design, got it into the specifications, got them all built, got them put into the cabinets. And Mary comes in and she opens and goes, you've put them in the wrong place. And I know I didn't. I said, because I looked, I pulled up my computer aided design and one has two, two pullouts. The other side has three pullouts. So I said, no, no, they're right. So I go to my, my shop, my garage, and I'm cleaning up because I'm a nice, clean person. And in the process, I see that sketch out that she and I did together. She was right. <laughs> and you went right in and told her? Oh, yes. I sheepishly went in and said, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, so, but that's all good. They still work. They do what they're supposed to. So I will confess up when I make a mistake. Well, the, the <laughs> image that the uh, adult uh, study uses is, uh, is, is in a car with a husband and wife. And that, that immediately brought me to uh, a day that I spent in Carter County, Kentucky, where I did not intend to spend the day in Carter County, Kentucky. <laughs> I just knew there was this road that had, they had just built that was new and that this would be faster to get us where we wanted to go. And uh, so I, my wife was with me and three sons in the back and we 
uh, we're taking a three hour drive to, to, to Louisville from where I lived. And we spent three or four hours in Carter County and had to go back to, uh, and, and she never lets me live that down, but I knew what I needed to do and where I needed to go. And it was difficult for me to confess that I was lost. Well, I feel bad for you guys. I've never had any experiences like that. <laughs> Good for you, yeah. Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I may have just told the falsehood right there. <laughs> You're feeling yeah. conviction. You're confessing your sin right, right like that. <laughs> well, what we're going to see, what we're going to see as we talk about making mistakes, uh, you know, mistakes are one thing. We're talking about the sin that's going to be in our lives. That God, uh, the voice of God will always bring us to conviction of the truth and to see that we're going to be in acts chapter two now we're going to be picking up in verse 32 we're picking up in the middle of an incredible sermon uh peter preached on the day of pentecost but before i read this passage before we get into the study ron chris i think would be good for us to give us some context what are what's happening in acts chapter two that leads us up to verse 32 well, it is the it is the day of Pentecost, but you know, from a New Testament perspective, when we talk about Pentecost, we usually think immediately of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But there was a whole lot of yes. history associated with Pentecost uh, prior to to that particular day recorded in Acts chapter two. Uh, Pentecost was uh, was one of the major festivals of Judaism. And the, the word itself suggests 50. So if Pentecost was 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover, so it usually occurs on our calendar uh, late May, early June. Uh, it, and it was a harvest festival. You know, when you, when you start looking at some of the festivals of Judaism, many of them, uh, were centered around harvest because they were a very agrarian uh, community. And so when the harvest came in, uh, and it, it was a, a cause for celebration. So Pentecost was originally a harvest celebration at the end of the harvest of barley, and it was the beginning of the harvest of wheat. And so you were celebrating what is, and you were celebrating you know, what you anticipated to come. And all of the celebration was an honor of God because God was recognized as the one who was uh, uh, behind the harvest, whether it was one that you had just experienced or one that you anticipated. So uh, sometimes it was called the Festival of Weeks as well. well. With this, this is one of the more popular festivals, right? I mean, as far as when there, there, there's probably more people at Pentecost than the other celebrations. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, it, it was, um, it was one of the major ones, you know, there were, there were several, there were two or three that were major. This would be one of them. And on this particular day, uh, because it was a major festival, you're going to have a, uh, a group of people who were present uh, who who came because it was such a, a significant event in their history. So people who were scattered, uh, Jews who were scattered, would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the the harvest festival of Pentecost. Uh, some 
uh, who had uh, uh, who were re- residents there. They were going to be in attention, and that's why when you when you read back early in uh, Acts chapter two, you see such a diverse group of people. They've come from here and there, and that's why this language issue becomes so significant because you've got people of such different background uh, linguistically, and so. Here they are all together, and uh, it provides a prime opportunity for a sharing of the gospel uh, to a various kind of people who are, in many cases, going to go back to their homelands and will be able to share that same gospel. So the, the significance of what you just said is that people were hearing in their native tongue uh, the gospel being shared. Yeah. And so that's a part of the miracle of Pentecost is... Uh, from the tongue's perspective, is that people were hearing and understanding in, in their native tongues uh, the gospel as it was presented. Yeah, and there's always the discussion uh, where, the, uh, where the disciples speaking in different languages, or was this a blessing of hearing, where people of different backgrounds and languages uh, even if the language that was being spoken was one language, they heard it in their language. It was a miracle that occurred there one way or the other, either in the speaking or the hearing. <laughs> and But but the key is it was a, about understanding. They heard and understood. Yeah, rather than, yeah, cause it, rather than get caught up in, okay, whether they spoke in different languages or heard in different languages, the point is, is that this was a miraculous event where the gospel uh, was declared and heard, understood, no matter what the people's background. And that in itself is a testimony to who God is and also to the uh, concept that the gospel message is for everybody. And so Peter, of course, under the uh, leadership of the Holy Spirit, Peter, who 50 plus days earlier was the one who was afraid to speak up for Jesus, denied him. Now he's going to stand up in front of this crowd and he's going to preach. And of course, they're wondering what's going on here. Peter is a sermon. He's the process of explaining what they're seeing, what what they're hearing, what they're experiencing. And so that's where we were we're picking up in part of his sermon, uh, but where he's really kind of turning the corner to talk about Jesus. He says in verse 32, these are Peter's words, God has raised this Jesus. And we are witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So God raised Jesus from the dead is the proclamation. And he says, we, we are witnesses of this. And, and, and so are we. We're witnesses in a different way of the resurrection. Uh, we we, did, we did, did not have firsthand experience. We didn't uh, see the risen Lord Jesus with our own eyes. But uh, we have also experienced and witnessed the power of the resurrection and changed lives for, for us. And I just thought that was a great point that the uh, that Richard Black could be uh, brought uh, brought to light uh, in his teaching. Peter uh, really f- focused his message 
from uh, two dimensions. One was a theological dimension that uh, Jesus is the one that God has raised up. So it challenges you to your concept about God. That is God powerful enough to do that? Did God do that? And so how do you understand who God is, the power of God, the ability of God uh, as it relates to resurrection? But then he does to make that turn to say, and we're witnesses of it. So he moves beyond theology to experience to say, you know, this is what has happened to us. This is what we have seen. And, and so there is a truth in all of the our talking about the gospel we can talk about it theologically and we ought to be able to mm -hmm. but we we really need to be able to talk about it experientially that uh, uh this is something that i have witnessed i've i've known i've experienced for myself and so therefore i'm telling you a true message that's rooted in god but it's also one that i know of personally and keeping this in the context of our discussion of how do we discern the voice of God, we all have these questions we would love to ask God. People get bogged down, I think, and want to ask specific detailed kind of questions. I've often done this with adults at my church where uh, we're in a, 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 a meeting and I'll just pass out cards that if you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? And they're all interesting, fascinating questions. But what God wants us to hear first and foremost is maybe not to just get kind of getting into the weeds, wanting detailed answers about such and such. The first thing and foremost thing he wants us to know is about Jesus, that, that his primary concern is that we are in a right relationship with him. And that comes through Christ. Peter, in his proclamation, takes uh, does what he does and what the other disciples did early um, in, in the preaching took took his hearers to the Old Testament to show that Jesus is the fulfillment. Can you talk a little bit about the Psalm uh, passages quoted there? Well, you know, I think it's a, a third point on the way Peter did his preaching. He did this theology, he did this experience, uh, but he returns to rooting it all in scripture as well. And so, and I think, uh, you know, when you're talking about how I understand God and how I understand my experience, I need to be able to uh, uh, use scripture to help me see the veracity of what my experience is and my understanding of who God is. And so uh, Peter you know, does that by citing Psalm 110, I think it is. What Peter did was connect his message about the power of God to raise Jesus and the experience that Peter and the others had had in uh, seeing the risen Lord really is supported by what was stated in Psalm 110, where David himself spoke about one who was to come, who would be exalted by God and who would defeat his enemies. All right, so where Peter, where we just left off with Peter, he's just made this declaration that this God has made this man, Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And well, when we come into verse 37, what I want us to see is that this work, what Christ has done, it's going to call for a response from us. So in verse 37, we see these words. When they, the crowd, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, 
repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Ron, let me just, uh, let's look at verse 38 for a minute. This is one that often gets a lot of conversation, a lot of talk, where he says to repent and be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, let's let's be clear on what that passage is saying and what it's not saying. Well, can we first define and explain uh, what repentance is? Let's not let's not assume that that everyone knows exactly what that is. Is that okay? Yes, and I repent from skipping right over that. That's Thank okay, you. Ron. We're kicking it to you. Oh, uh, re- repentance is uh, simply stated to change one's mind for the better. It's a, a spiritual equivalent of doing an about face. So when I repent, I acknowledge the presence of sin, I turn from that sin, and I focus on Christ who provides the blessing of salvation. Uh, Obviously, repentance is a major uh, tenet of Scripture. Going back, this was not a New Testament concept. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, you've got the Hebrew concept of turning Uh, which is equivalent to to sin. And so the word in the Old Testament uh, means to turn. So, you know, Peter's message is very consistent with all that God has ever said. Uh, His desire for people is that they turn from their wicked ways and and turn to the righteousness that he's able to provide. So this is the message of Jonah. Repent. Yeah. Uh, And and it's the message of all the prophets. Okay. That, uh, you know, because the prophetic message to Israel was you're going the wrong way. And so you need to you need to turn and you need to return okay. uh, to, to God as uh, as the righteous and holy father. OK, so, Ron, but in this, what Peter says, he says, repent and be baptized. Yeah, and there's where there's where, you know, there's the controversy uh, that exists in some <laughs> circles as to. What is the relationship of baptism to uh, uh, to salvation? Part of what we do is that we get caught up on the baptism to the neglect of the focus on repentance. I mean, the heart mm. of Peter's message was repent. And that was a very consistent message itself in that if you remember when John came, John the Baptist, his message was a message of repentance. And when Jesus came, Jesus' initial message is uh, found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, was a message of repentance. So Peter is picking up upon on that same message. That's where the focus is. So, uh, I, I'm, and I'm going to get to the baptism, but the thing is, we end up making baptism kind of the main point here when baptism is not the main point it's the repentance that's the main point and so the baptism is an act that represents the the repentance that has occurred and that baptism that that uh, symbolizes repentance leads to uh, uh, an acknowledgement of the forgiveness of sin that's occurred and the and the gift of the holy spirit that comes so you know is the word 
you know, when it says for the remission of sins, is that uh, saying that uh, uh, forgiveness comes through baptism? Or does it say that forgiveness is symbolized by baptism? Uh, if you go back uh, and to, th this is a century ago, but it's still very true. Uh, A.T. Robertson was a Greek scholar. He was, he was considered kind of the premier New Testament Greek scholar a century ago. And uh, he, he said, and let me just read what he said, my view is decidedly against the idea that Peter, Paul, or anyone in the New Testament taught baptism as essential to the remission of sins or the means of securing such okay. remission. I found this on the web so the McGinn, so the he, you know, he denies that uh, that has ever been part of, of the New Testament gospel. Uh, John Paul Hill, our New Testament professor, wrote a a, a wonderful commentary on Acts that's in the New American Commentary series also says the same thing, that there is no other passage in Acts where baptism is presented as bringing about the forgiveness of sin. So if you, uh, uh, an, uh, another Old Testament uh, scholar and professor said, if you're using this verse to proof text baptismal regeneration, the problem is, you are looking for a proof text for something that you have already decided. <laughs> this is the only one that you could find that becomes your your primary support for that particular belief. So, you know, that there's there's a weakness there that if I believe something and I need something to prove it, and this is the only place I can find to prove it. It's somewhat ironic, I think, that we are Baptist. Okay. Uh, we we are a Part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, baptism is very important uh, in our tradition. Um, but to be put on the defensive and to have to explain that uh, what we believe is just what you described, Ron, that uh, baptism is important. It's, it's what we should do as an act of obedience and following Jesus, but, but uh, not necessary for salvation or for the forgiveness of sin. So we, we, we get in debates with people who believe that you have to be baptized to be saved or to be forgiven because uh, of their, their proof text is what our perspective of this passage. That being said, there is a strong connection between repentance and baptism in the new Testament. Yep. I mean, they are, it is, uh, it is, uh, it's almost like it's assumed I repent of my sin, I'm forgiven, and I'm going to be baptized in order to illustrate that I have repented and been forgiven of my sin. And so, you know, you don't want to lessen the significance of baptism, but you don't want the baptism to end up being the dominant uh, uh, theme of this verse when the dominant theme is repent. And if you don't repent, baptism has no meaning anyway. And so, uh, so focus on the repentance and then say, I'm baptized because that is a symbol or a sign uh, of the commitment I made in the repentance of my sin. As we see here, this idea that when you hear the truth of Jesus, it calls for a response from us. These people were pierced to the heart. 
that is a good good statement about what conviction is. And so what we're going to see, though, is really the, the truth about Jesus does call for a response, but the right response to God's convicting in our lives should lead us to salvation and lead us to obedience. Let me read verse 39. Paul, uh, Peter continues speaking, for the promises for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, because as many as, as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Uh, Richard Blackaby talks um, in this section in the previous session as well, that uh, section, uh, that one of the things that we can know about hearing the, the voice of God is that when he speaks, uh, he, he requires a response, that there is an expectation that we will respond when God speaks. And I thought, I thought that was brilliant. Uh, I don't know that I had ever thought that through uh, as a, as an understanding of how, how to help me better understand uh if, if it's God speaking, if he's convicted me, that he's requiring and expecting a response from me. I think it's also a testimony to the power of the word itself. The word uh, demands, maybe, maybe even stronger than expects, the word demands a response. Uh, and and it, is, it is something that uh, I, I'm not even sure you can ignore it. You may not respond favorably to it, but the power of the word will bring, I mean, in, in this case, it said, you know, it, it, it pricked their hearts, it pierced their hearts, because that's what the word does. It has that power to, uh, uh, to bring that kind of effect to, to us, and we've got to deal with it some way, and we can either deal with it by rejecting it or we can deal with it by receiving it uh but there is there is power in that word that's spoken whether it's you know spoken whether it's read uh that uh that just can't uh can't completely be ignored because it is so powerful when we put this in the context again of how do i discern the voice of god satan his voice he, he likes to condemn us. He likes to judge us. He likes for us to feel the weight of guilt over even over forgiven sins. But Jesus, when God convicts us, it's not just his conviction is to draw us back to himself. He has a redemptive purpose in his conviction, whereas Satan, he just wants us to feel bad. He just wants us to feel condemned and feel I can't get out of this. Unworthy. Well, and that's why we call it the good news. It would not be good news if all you're doing is telling me how bad I am. Because I generally already know how bad I am. <laughs> so give me some good news. <laughs> well, the good news is, yes, you have sinned. But the good news is that you can be forgiven of that sin and that God reaches out to embrace you in his love and mercy and grace uh, to uh bring you uh, into his uh, into his presence uh, as his child. And so there's where it becomes good news. And, and that's what uh, that's what we want to be sure when we share the gospel 
that and that's that's where we have focused today that the good news is Jesus lives and Jesus forgives those who are willing to repent and he blesses them with forgiveness and the Holy Spirit that fills their lives and enables them to be able to serve and live for a gracious God. Uh, this past week, I led a, a membership class in the church where I'm a part, and I was surprised at, at the number of people that a part of their testimony was um, that they had heard the hellfire damnation type sermons and told and were told how bad they were and how wicked they were. And uh, one lady uh, talked about going to church and to a church in California and hearing people talk and say that God loves us, just like what you described, Ron. And it was a refreshing thing for her to hear that because she didn't realize how much God loved her. And I just want to say to those of us who, who are a part of this podcast and to those of you who are listening, don't take for granted that everybody in your group comes from a background that has heard over and over again, the good news of the gospel that God loves you and that he cares for you and that he, he draws you to himself. He, he, the purpose of his conviction is so that you will come to him and be in a relationship with him. Don't assume that everybody has that background and that tradition. Uh, be sure that you do exactly what Ron did a few moments ago, point out the significance of this good news. Thanks, Chris. Well, this has been a good, healthy conversation, and I'm confident that in our groups, wherever we may be, as we uh, meet with others, that we'll have a good, healthy conversation. So I want to thank you all. Thank you, Ron, for joining Chris and I for this uh, this podcast. Thanks again. Enjoyed it. And I just want to thank everyone who's been listening. Thank you for being a part of this podcast, and we hope you have a great Bible study this week. 